Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a book, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. For a fresh new start MJ Network will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone, it's beautiful outside And this is going to be so amazing Jailhouse Liar came out yesterday And guess who's here? Nancy Allen to talk about it. She wrote it with James Patterson. This book is off the charts. You've got to read it. And if you haven't pre-ordered it, is there something wrong with you? What are you waiting for? So we meet Martha, and Martha is one of my new favorite characters. And we got people on the line listening. In a picture-perfect Irva, Alabama, the most serious crimes are misdemeanors or speeding tickets, shoplifting, contempt of court. Then why is the jail so crowded? Well, I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to find out. So good morning, Nancy. It's so nice to hear from you. Nice, nice that you're good here. Good morning, Fran. Fran, it's such a pleasure. Always a pleasure to visit with you. This is so much fun. I'll tell you. And this book was really, first of all, people, the, the book weighs 500. It's 588 pages. It's very heavy. But it's definitely worth the read. And just put it on a standard reader and don't even... Stop reading until you're done. So, oh, thank hi. you, and friend, we do have two full-length novels in the book. Yep. And the first is The Jailhouse Lawyer, and the second full-length novel in the book is Power of Attorney. So it's a twofer. Not only that, it's definitely worth the twofer. So tell us about Jailhouse Lawyer because we're going to do the other one, and we're going to showcase it because personally I didn't want to cheat the other book. And I wanted to give you the, the full time with both books because I have to. It's what I do. Well, so I tell am us about Jailhouse Lawyer and my Martha. I love my Martha. All righty. I'm so glad you love Martha. Well, so uh, the Jailhouse Lawyer, our setting is Alabama. And in Alabama, we have a young attorney and a single mother, which is very important in this book. Mm-hmm. And her name is Martha Foster. And she is an Alabama attorney in Birmingham, but she pulls up stakes, and she moves with her young son, Andy, to a small town in Alabama to take a new position, the position of public defender. And when she gets there, she lands in uh, what turns out to be a bizarre community with a very strange court system and uh, a very frightening judge. And she ends up in hot water, actually. Our girl, Martha Foster, ends up in jail herself. Well, all I know is that that's the part of Martha that reminds her of me. Because if I want to know something, I'm not going to stop until you tell me. And if I get in trouble, you're going to be in trouble for not telling me. Seriously. Well, and I'm I'm glad that you identified with her. And she is exactly that kind of woman. Yes, Fran. Yeah. She's tough. That's why you've got to be tough in this world, people. So tell us how and why you started with a suicide 
And wh- well, who is book- it? Who was it? And whatever you can't give away, because we're not going to give anything away, because people have to read the book. Okay. Seriously. No spoilers. No spoilers. But the book opens yeah. with a courtroom scene, because it's a legal thriller, right? And so we open with this courtroom scene, and everyone's sitting in court, waiting for court to begin in Judge Pickens' yeah. courtroom, uh, but the public defender isn't there. Everybody's there. Judge Pickens is there. The court staff, the uh, the district attorney's there. All the inmates are waiting, but the public defender isn't there. So uh, the bailiff has to go to find the public defender and goes over to his office, and he finds the public defender uh, hanging dead by the neck from uh, the light fixture in his office. And it's not explained at that point, but we're just letting the reader know something really rotten is going on in this legal community. I know. I'm not crazy about legal um, teams either. (laughs) (laughs) So that's our opening scene. And as far as who that was, uh, the deceased is a young attorney named... um, Rob Ford, and he is the dead public defender, and really all we know about him is he was a young man with a family. We know he's got a wife and three kids because there was a a picture of him with his family in the office, Uh, but the story is a mystery that um, is part of what we're going to unwind as we read through this book. We have to read it. See, the problem is this. You have to give yourself an hour and a half to read it, because that's all it took me to read it. And you've got to make sure that nobody disturbs you, ever. <laughs> so you lock the door and write, do not disturb, because once you start reading, you're not going to be able to stop. And then when you finish that one, you go to power of attorney, and you're really in trouble. Just, that's it. Oh, I love make it, sure love you, it, love it. Thank you, Fred. Make, make sure you have a lot of coffee and the bathroom's in your room. And you have a cell phone. <laughs> so what is odd about it, and why is the law enforcement in this town give you the, the strangest feeling that I don't know? Well, um, and, and what's uh, – uh, uh, so, this, this, so our book is set in Irva, Alabama. And Irva is a fictional town in Alabama. We made it up. Uh, but when Martha first arrives – and Irva, oh my gosh, she thinks it's just idyllic. It's like it's got all the charm of Mayberry, you know what I mean? Uh, and, and, and we see blooming magnolia trees, and there are kids riding bikes, and, like, you know, you've got a lemonade stand. And, and, and when she arrives in town at her house, the welcome wagon actually greets her. So it's like she has arrived in heaven, uh, and mm-hmm. in this town has signs of prosperity, which, you know, a lot of small towns don't have, but there's new construction. they got a building boom. There's new courthouse and jail edition underway. And on the surface, Irva is perfect. But as she spends time in Irva, she sees some things happening that show her that maybe Irva, Alabama is not 
the happy place it seems on the surface, there are disturbing dynamics at work in Irva, and she comes to suspect that these strange dynamics originate in the local judicial system and law enforcement. So that is what she is finding out is that um, what we consider law and order, which uh, Mm -hmm. uh, is supposed to be... um, um, you know, equal and fair and square. It's not so equal and fair and square in Irva, Alabama. I can tell. Reminds me of some real life uh-huh. people. So yeah, yes. This is what really got me. You see, this is how I identify with with Martha. She's greeted by the court staff, and she realizes that something's off. So how did you create this unsettling situation? The minute she meets them, they offered her coffee and whatever, and it's like. She wanted to know what was going on, and they didn't want to tell her. Very scary. And and so it's her first day on the job. Yeah. And, and here again, she has arrived in this perfect little beautiful community. And so first day on the job, uh, what she does is she goes to the courthouse. She's a new public defender. She needs to be the judge. And now this is a one-horse town, right? So she goes to meet the judge, and she is greeted by the court staff, and they are another warm welcome. They are so friendly. I mean, they want to give her hugs. They want to offer her coffee, tea. Would you like a soft drink? They are so glad to see Martha. They will just do anything for her, except they won't let her do her job. Uh, she needs right. to uh, uh, go over to the jail. And in fact, there's an inmate that she already wants to see, and they tell her, no, no, you can't do that. You can't go to the jail. She can't do anything, they say, until she waits and asks Judge Pickens first, which is kind of a, you can't do anything. You can't do your job. You can't go to the jail unless Judge Pickens says so, which is kind of Martha's da-da-da-da. Something strange is going on, and we figure that out when she meets that really friendly court staff that will just do anything in the world for her except let her do her job. That's strange, and that that, that wouldn't happen in real life, would it? If you wanted to see somebody, you'd have to get permission or whatever, but you're allowed to see them. And the judge would not would not be determining who could and could not go okay. in to the jail. And um, uh, the attorneys who are representing the inmates are the people who should absolutely be let into the jail first. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. that's a, uh, that is a mm-hmm. red flag for Martha. Tell us about the DA. Okay, so there is also, of course, a district attorney in town. So he is the local prosecutor, and um, we meet him in the opening chapter. And then when Martha meets the DA, uh, his name is Doug Carson. Such a nice young man, very young, very young, just almost looks Mm -hmm. like he's barely out of high school. And um, he is also so welcoming to Irva, thinks she's going to love Irva. And what he thinks she's going to really like about it, he says she is not going to be overworked like most public defenders are. You know, um, uh, one thing about Alabama, they don't have a statewide public defender system like most states do. Mm. Alabama still only has public defenders in the large communities, and then in the small communities, 
they have the old appointment system where you just uh, uh, appoint um, uh, local attorneys to represent defendants. But Irva, even though they're a small town, they've got a public defender, but she's not part of a statewide system, which also is another reason why Martha is vulnerable in this town and in this situation. But he says, you will not be overworked. And she said, well, of course she will be because public defenders have so many cases. Usually Mm -hmm. a public defender can just barely keep up with their caseload. But he said, no, you're not going to be that busy. And she says, well, what about the jury trials? I want to be brought up today so I can prepare. He said, you're not going to have any jury trials. And she doesn't understand. And he said, well, you won't have any jury trials because the prior public deter- uh, defender, who we know is dead, he waived jury on all the cases. So they're all judge-tried cases, tried by Judge Pickens. And she says, but all the minor cases, I'll have all the misdemeanors too, and I won't be mm-hmm. waiving. She said, I won't be waiving jury. And he said, oh, you won't have those minor cases because I just go ahead and waive jail time so the public defender is never appointed. So this means that uh, Judge Pickens has power, absolute power, over every case. And in all the minor cases, the public defender is not even supposed to appear. And in the few major cases in this small county, uh, she doesn't even get to have a jury decide them. Uh, they're all going to be decided by Judge Pickens. So this, again, is this bizarre setup that doesn't make any sense because this just isn't how criminal defense is done. This is scary because he manipulates everyone in the jail staff and he gets away with it. It's almost as if he's blackmailing them or he's got some bet on everybody. That's weird. And manipulating the DA, too. I mean, we, we suspect that very early on. That the, yes, the DA, yes. this very young, very young and naive DA, also feels uh, overpowered by the judge as well. I don't like judges either. I'm sorry. <laughs> what can I say? Yeah, please. If I, if I tell and you, there are, many, there are many fine judges, but but not Judge Pickens in our book. He's not one of the. Well, the one the one that I have, I have to say though that when my mom was alive, I did have because she had Medicaid. I did use a public defender, you know, legal a loyal public defender, and God bless Rachel. Uh-huh. She was amazing, and we worked together. I did half the work; she did the other half, and we won. So. See, it doesn't matter. Oh, I'm so glad. Oh, I'm glad that's a happy ending story. Yes, indeed. She did. She helped me win 12-24-7. We were a great team of don't mess with us. So what happens when Martha meets him and he doesn't and she wants to go meet Jay and he says, uh-uh. So Martha finally manages to run down Judge Pickens, and she finally meets him in the courthouse yeah. coffee shop, which actually is something that would not be that uncommon. So she meets uh, Judge Pickens, and she finds that he essentially rules the county, and he rules every aspect of it. He controls the court dockets, which which court which judge would, but he's controlling also the DA. He's controlling the jail, as we found out, and law enforcement. And uh, this judge is deciding who can talk to the inmates and when, 
And uh, there are consequences when people don't comply with Judge Pickens' rules. So we did create Judge Pickens, I hope, as a complex and interesting character. It would have been easier to just make Judge Pickens kind of one of those boss hog characters, you know, uh, fat old uh, white southern man. Um, But this guy is uh different he is more of a dr jekyll and mr hyde for one yeah. thing we we made him he is described by other characters as being an extremely handsome man which um uh i think peg in daycare says oh my gosh he's so handsome he could be a movie star which is difficult for uh martha to believe because she's never seen a judge who looked like he could be a movie star but uh when she first sees him oh my gosh he looks like central casting you know uh and then um when she encounters it encounters him in the coffee shop he is so charming He's like old school hospitality yeah. and courtesy. And she's sitting there and she's still trying to say, I need to get into the jail. He is inviting her and her little boy to be a guest at his home for dinner. Well, that never happened in Birmingham to have a judge roll out the red carpet in that kind of way. And she's talking to him. And then in a moment later, when he leaves the courthouse coffee shop, she sees him. He's helping little old ladies into the elevator while there's an old woman on a walker. And the judge is taking the time to make sure that that little old lady can be safely transported upstairs. And she thinks, what a great guy. Old school southern gentleman, except he won't let her do her job, you see. So, um, you know, as far as why he is able to get away with this, you know, we have created a one-horse town in our book, and and those towns still exist. Um, And even though the book is fiction, obviously, it is a novel, but really, Fern, in small towns, in small communities in our country, Mm -hmm. judges wield incredible power, incredible power. And you know, with certain personality types, it's true what they say, that old saying about absolute power, it corrupts absolutely. And so what we're starting to, to suspect is maybe we got one of those personality types in Judge Pickens, and maybe the power he is wielding um, is corrupt in his hands because he's the kind of guy who would abuse it. So well, he, he just, um, this is scary. It's scary yeah. because he puts so many obstacles, and then he decides when when she's allowed to get in. He's like exactly. a doctor general and so finally, Mr. Hyde. He's scary. Yes. He is indeed. So on that first day, after she sees him in the court, in the coffee shop and she begs, he decides she can go to the jail. So finally she gets in to go to the jail. And the reason she has been wanting to get into the jail primarily, because um, she doesn't have her new docket yet, but she knows that an old law school friend of hers is in jail, Jay, and he is being held on some nebulous charge, failing yeah. to appear, and she wants to get in there and see if he's okay. Jay has fallen from grace. Now, Jay was, uh, Jay Bradshaw was the brightest guy in law school, but she heard that, uh, he's had trouble, he's been disbarred, and now he's incarcerated 
in Irva, Alabama. So she goes and she sees him, and Jay's the first one to come out and tell her, the judge is crazy. The judge is crazy. And she, you know, doesn't know what she thinks about that. I mean, um, she has already been invited over to the judge's house for dinner. He's helping little old ladies across the street. She doesn't believe that the judge is crazy yet. Um, but uh, So she has this meeting with Jay. She says she's going to get back to him. You know, the next time she appears in jail, um, mm-hmm. here's the obstacle. It's back. It's back. And uh, uh, she goes back to see Jay again, and the jail staff says, oh, no, you can't come in. She says, I talked to the judge. The judge has cleared this for me. I get to go to the jail. And I said, no, no. He said you could come into the jail yesterday. He didn't say you could come in today. So here again, she is in bizarro land. (laughs) What's going on here? And she flips out. She is not. This is, she's not polite and kind to the jail staff. But but they're 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 rubbing her wrong. They're making her crazy, and they are getting in the way of her professional obligations. Well, she's supposed to do. In other words, go uh huh, uh huh. Whenever you let me, uh huh. Yeah, yes. Not me. Not exactly. me. Not Martha. Sorry. Well, and that's so, and that's what so they when want. The, what yeah. does the judge do to people? Now this this was really cool. Talk about making revenue and money, people. This is one way to do it if you're a judge or corrupt or both. So what does a judge do to people he claims are delinquent in court payments, and what does he add and gain on to the revenue? And how do the inmates act? He gets away with a lot of, oh, my God. You want to be friends with this guy. You don't want to make him your enemy. And here again, um, jailhouse lawyer is a novel. As we know, but the court policies at the heart of this and the things that Judge uh, Pickens is doing in this book, I think we should make it clear to the audience he has created a debtor's prison, right? And the debtor's prison that Martha Foster discovers that he's doing and is fighting in this book, Mm -hmm. this is going on in, in the United States right now. Um, well, uh, Fran, um, uh, this debtor's prison is in, in, it was inspired actually because you know I'm a Missourian and a Missouri lawyer and it was inspired by actual events and real cases oh, wow. in Missouri and that are going on um, across the United States our courts and this was happening in Missouri and now it, it's happening all over the place but our courts in the U.S. are using poor people as an income source for local government. What they're doing is they get the poor people in on little bitty old piddly charges, but they hike up the court costs to these obscene and unimaginable amounts. And then they tack on board bills in a lot of places. And these crazy Mm. high court costs uh, that they are billing our poorest citizens because you know, if you have resources, if you got money, you're not you're not over there sitting yeah. in jail for days and days and days to have a little uh, kind of a case um, come up. It's our poorest citizens. Um, they are squeezing like like they're an ATM machine to support local go- government and local law enforcement. So what Pickens is doing, and this is happening in real life, friends. He has these oh, God, help and us. come into court. And they are required to pay these court costs. And you think, well, what are, what are court costs? Is it 75 bucks? Is it 90 bucks? No. 
No. Well, first of all, if they don't pay, then he sends them to jail for noncompliance. Maybe he calls that um, – maybe he says that's contempt. If they no-show for their regular, which may be weekly or monthly, appearances uh, to pay on court costs, then he's going to issue a warrant for fail to appear, and that's a separate charge. And so here is the scenario. This was happening in Missouri, and it's what we are basing um, our story in the book on, but it's going on all over the U.S., Let's say a woman uh, went and stole a bottle of nail polish at a pharmacy, and they caught her uh, because she's shoplifting, and she was arrested, and so they take her to jail, and let's say she is held in jail uh, until sentencing because she can't bond out because she doesn't have any money, and um, and maybe, maybe like in our situation in this town, maybe they're not even going to give her a public defender because it's a piddling charge. So oh my God. finally she is sentenced, and they say, okay, we're going to place you on probation and uh, uh, a year suspended or six months suspended, uh, but you were sitting in jail for uh, three months uh, between the day of your arrest and the day uh, now when you're being sentenced. And so you have a board bill because we're going to charge you for the uh, room and board for while you were in our county jail. And so you have court costs of $1,000. So you need to start paying on that $1,000, and you're going to come into court every week or every month until it is paid off. These people don't have $1,000 pay court costs. And what are we doing putting people in jail and then charging them room and board for being there? But this is what was happening in Missouri until we had a very courageous Mm. public defender who fought it in Missouri, got it up to the Supreme Court in Missouri, and in the case of State of Missouri versus Ritchie, our Supreme Court said that these debtors' prison board bills are illegal, and they outlawed them. But they're still going on everywhere else. So this was the inspiration for um, our book. And the fact is, Fran, that this is going on all over the United States, that poor people are ended up being locked up and then re-jailed and jailed again because they can't pay these obscene high amounts of court costs. But meanwhile... Local governments get rich off these because they squeeze these poor people who are obligated. A lot of them, they, they'll, never, they'll never get out from under the court costs. They will never be able to catch up. So then they incarcerate them again for not paying. And then while they're jailed again, they build up the court costs again. Oh, now you owe us $3,000. Now you owe us $5,000. And as much as they try to stay caught up on paying, they can never oh do it. Gosh. They have become a financial resource. For local government, and this is happening all over the United States, and you know what? Oh, people don't know about it because because these poor people don't have a voice, you know. What so about anyway, the press? Nobody's is, ever nobody's ever said I want to speak to um, a, a, a newspaper. Nobody nobody in their family right. ever said we got to bring this out in the open. Oh my God! Okay, Fran, and that is the reason. That we got rid of it in Missouri is because there yes, is I'm saying. a brilliant, uh, a brilliant uh, in St. Louis. We've got a uh, we've got a reporter. His name's Tony Messenger. Yeah. And Tony Messenger 
caught on to this and started doing very in-depth reporting on it, and he started following what the courageous public defender was trying to do, and Tony is showing up in these courtrooms across Missouri, and do you know, there would be times when they would threaten Tony and the public defender with being jailed for contempt. Oh, God. I mean, this is how spooky this can get. Anyway, Tony started covering it with a series of articles in uh, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, which is our big newspaper in the state of Missouri. And once uh, people caught on through Tony's reporting, there was a uh, public outcry, as well there should be. That's when I learned about it, and I was, um, at the time, I was teaching law classes at Missouri State University, and we were we were watching this with bated press to see what would happen. And I think... The Supreme Court, I think part of the reason that they um, uh, got onto this case, accepted it, and decided it in the way they did, partly it's because we've got a good Supreme Court, partly it's because the press was there to shine oh a light on it. And Tony Messenger's support of what that public defender was doing is the reason we got the right decision in Missouri. But the right decision hadn't happened everywhere. But it was. It was Tony Messenger and the young um, public defender at Tony's Press. Oh, by the way, Tony Messenger got a Pulitzer Prize for his reporting on our debtors' prisons. And, um, and it was well-deserved. I could oh, use him to defend way, me. Tony Messenger uh, did a a review and a blurb for our book, which is very complimentary uh, on the light that we are shining on debtors' prisons in fiction. Because, you know, when James Patterson uh, puts out a book, a million people are going to read it. And a million people who did not read the St. Louis Post-Dispatch are going to read Jailhouse Lawyer, and they're going to catch on to this practice uh, that local governments are doing at the expense of poor people in the United States. Oh, I I agree. And anybody that doesn't read this, you have to be out of your mind. This is really, I mean, I just sat down and read this, and I go like, what? You know, after dealing with lawyers, whatever, they're horrible, some of them. And, um, yeah, I could see how, I could see by what I'm going through, I won't say what, that they are manipulated a lot. And sometimes they need to learn to, to get some gumption and guts. So when Martha decides, she's so cool, to fight back at a ruling, what happens when she files an e-file on Jay's behalf? And the judge, I was like, you got to be kidding. And then it affects her son. How is that? That's even worse. So, um, so what Martha is trying to do, because, see, Jay, her old buddy Jay, he is one of the people that the judge is incarcerating uh, because the judge... Uh, says that uh, he didn't appear, and, and what Jay did, and this, this, this stuff happens, friend. Jay picked up a speeding ticket in that county, and then he blew it off and didn't do anything about it. So the county puts out a warrant for failed to appear on the speeding ticket, which would happen. But then when he got picked up somewhere, and they brought him back to Irva, he's just, yeah. they just lock him up and throw away the key because they want to make their um, their board bill money. They wanna they wanna make their uh, court costs. And so Martha gets Jay out, 
And what Martha wants to do is she and Jay, because Jay is very bright, uh, a deep rock lawyer, but a very bright deep rock lawyer, they do their research and say, how are we going to attack this court cost practice? And they figure out what they did in Missouri, which is to file a motion to retax costs. That's how we did it in Missouri. And it got to the Missouri Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court fixed it. So they said, that's a pattern for us. So she's going to file motion to retax costs for Jay, and they figure judge will probably rule against it. The judge did at that level in Missouri, but then we'll appeal and we'll get it up to the Supreme Court, and we're going to do away with these uh, uh, debtors' prisons in Alabama. So she files it, thinking step one, get it in front of Judge Pickett. He won't like it, and he'll rule against it. But then what we're going to do is um, appeal. But. Judge Pickens is Dr. Jekyll, but he's also Mr. Hyde. So when Judge Pickens sees what Martha has done and has filed in his court, Judge Pickens flips out. And um, Judge Pickens, she finds out just what Judge Pickens can be like when she files that motion in Jay's case that the judge does not like. And so there are consequences when you uh, do something that Judge Pickens doesn't like. And so Martha does become the jailhouse lawyer because he finds her in contempt of court because he doesn't like what she's done. He says she is disrespectful of court. And you know, a judge has a lot of, uh, uh, has a great deal of discretion uh, over deciding who oh has uh, uh, committed contempt of court in the judge's presence. And so um, he tells the bailiff to go lock her up. And she becomes the jailhouse lawyer because they incarcerate her. And so you know and I know that the time she spends in jail um, in Irva, Alabama, even though it's not a a terribly lengthy period of time, it is a dramatic series of events that occur to Martha while she is uh, incarcerated in jail in in Alabama. And not only is what's happened to her in jail uh, very dramatic and traumatic, but add the greater trauma this is a single mother. She has no resources. She's got nobody to fall back on in Irva, Alabama. And her little boy, did we say that he just had heart surgery? I need to mention that. She is the single mother yeah. of a child who is pre-kindergarten, he's five years old, and he was born with a congenital heart defect. And he just had open heart surgery that summer. She has to take very careful care of him. Her little boy has to have medication for his heart. Uh, uh, at a certain time, she sets her, her phone so that she never misses the time because she is the sole caretaker of this fragile, precious child that is, that is her entire life. And they have locked her up in the county jail. Who's taking care of that child? And nobody will tell her. Nobody will tell her. I know. And when you meet the son and he goes to daycare, he hates it and he doesn't like Peg. But before I forget... While the list is in front of me, Thursday, watch out. Vincent Zandri, John Lansing, David McCallop, and Charles Salzberg, you're going to love this, take center stage because I decided that I've read too many books that start out very well and great, and in the middle, I need to take a nap. 
So we're going to talk about how to create the middle of your book so the reviewer like me or readers don't want to take a snooze pill. I'm serious. On the 27th, I think that we is have fabulous. I know no, that was I think my it's idea. Yeah, it should be interesting. The 27th, some a really fantastic true to life story, panic attack, Dennis Palumbo. I read that in an hour and a half. On the 29th, the author of the Ninth Sense session. On the 30th, Rachel and Micah will be here with Trinity House. I hope the music. And now, what better way, people, to start October than with D.P. Lyle in the O.C. And then we've got another panel on the 6th, Dick Belsky, Brian Silverman, and Dennis Palumbo. And on the 13th, would you believe, Robert Dagoni, when we'll play chess. Could you ask for anything better than that? And on the 7th, Dennis and I are going to attack panic attacks, for real, as a psychotherapist. So why, when she wanted to know where her son was, why didn't they tell her? And when she's released, what is she forced to do? This is so sad. And you know, um, um, here again, uh, even though there are certainly ways to control a person uh, uh, if they are locked up, but in Martha's case, and we have hints that they kind of, uh, had a notion about this when they hired her. In Martha's case, the greatest power they have over her is the fact that she is mother to this very young, very frail child. And they know that they can pretty much get Martha to do anything they want if they withhold the child from her and if they have her worried about the child. Now, could a judge put people in jail for contempt? Yes. Even arguably, you know, some of the, th- you know, some of the things that happen to Martha while she's in jail are uh, uh, things that they are using in, uh, uh, on, on, on people who are incarcerated at this time in the United States. Um, but one thing that he did that was absolutely, totally and completely um, uh, bizarrely illegal – was when they just um, won't tell her where that child is. And uh, yeah. apparently, uh, no government body, they didn't bring in children's services. They, you know, nobody, nobody called in uh, uh, Division of Family Services. Um, that child is just, he's just gone. And even when Martha is released and all she wants to know is, where's my son, where's my son, where's my son, all that welcome wagon bunch of friendly core people, they won't tell her anything. Nobody won't tell Martha anything. And they won't tell her where her son is. And that is the kind of coercion that no one could withstand as far as wanting someone to uh, be where you want them and do what you want them to do regardless of their principles. Um, if, if you were in that kind of situation, it would break anyone. And so at one point, Martha says, I'll do whatever you want. I'll do whatever you want, but Martha has a backup mm. plan in her mind, and there is a seed that is flowering, and yeah. Martha's got an idea of what she's going to do, but she can't do anything until they restore her child to her. He's scary. So they, so they violated Martha's civil rights. They committed all kinds of illegal acts, but when they get that child from her, without giving her any indication of where he was or what mm. kind of shape he was, I thought 
and, and Jim and I thought that as we were creating our story, um, that's about the worst thing you could do to a person. Well, that that's his kind so, of twist. That's his kind of twist. He do, he does that out of nowhere. You say like what? And that really oh, got me. I wanted to, to punch something. the judge in the face for that one. How dare you tell this mother that she can't see her child? What is wrong with these people? You know, when Jim and I started working together, because as you were talking about what your uh, programs coming up are going to be, he said, you know, Nancy, we can write a beginning and an end, and those are great. It's great to come up with a strong opening and a strong ending. He said, you always got to realize as we're working together, the middle is the hard part. <laughs> That's so right. It's so true. It's so true. And and we really keep that in mind as we are going through our process. So got to make sure that you don't lose your reader in the middle. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm reading a book that's 300, 400 pages, and they lost me after 200. Oh. So I did some, yeah. And it's not that it's good. I won't tell you what it is. It's an interesting something. And um, I looked up some of the reviews that some people wrote, and I'm going like, okay, what is this book about? It starts out with some guy shoots off a bomb and kills a lot of people, and he's in some regiment, but the guy that runs the regiment doesn't think he did it. So instead of going about trying to find out, he goes around in circles finding out other stuff, and I'm going like, oh, God, help me. There's got to be root canal after this one. So so that's one, and there's another one that's true crime that's really good, but how much true crime can you take? Poor, poor me. Yeah. So the middle of the yeah. book does tell you. So we have Abby, and she's arrested, and then something happens to her. And what about Molly, her sister? So what? What? how did that come into this? So, um, so finally, ultimately, because Martha is really working at it, she does finally go out and she finds who her client base is, right? Because because yeah. certainly um, uh, the judge and the and the district attorney and the way their system is all set up, they've been trying to keep her from her client base as public defender. Even though there's all these poor people in in the courtroom and all yeah. these people charged with crimes and showing up, and they don't want Martha in court. And 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 so anyway, Martha finally. Seeks out her client base, and one of these young women, Abby, is very, very eager to see Martha and get her legal representation and her help. Yeah. And so, uh, what uh, Martha uh, has a big wake-up call because she's thinking, "Okay, I am, um, I am going to be able to help Abby out," and she is ready to do it. And she's she's done her research, she's got her paperwork, she's got all of her court documents. She is ready to go, and Abby's sister uh, comes, and when Abby's sister comes, she finds out from Molly that, uh, let's say, Martha doesn't have a client anymore. So Martha has seen, um, she has had indicators of how messed up and corrupt this court system is. She sees what has happened to Abby. Now she needs to get the support because and 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 then uh, what they do to Martha when they make her the jailhouse lawyer um Martha knows that she has to fight this judge but yeah. it's not something she can necessarily do alone so she needs to um she needs to have um resources partners in this attempt to try and uh 
stop Judge Pickens from what he is doing in Irva in Douglas County, Alabama. And one of the resources, one of the people she turns to is the sister of the person she briefly represented, uh, who was Abby. And then she turns to her sister, Molly, uh, because she wants to fight back. And so uh, she wants Molly to be one of her allies. And well, we have a couple Alabama, more. But we have a needs, couple more questions yes, in a couple more minutes. Yes. And then what oh, can okay. I say? I, I How does she? I she plans it, to fight to back. And when the trial comes, how does she finally make the world know that the judge is corrupt? And you know, Remember a male like this has a him? lot of power. Yeah. So even if he yeah. is found oh, guilty or something, he could always fight back, can he? Uh, we'll that's why get him out. when she decides, when she decides, how can I attack him? Because once she's yeah. a jailhouse lawyer, she knows that she can't do what they did in Missouri. He'll throw her back in jail. So what yeah. she has to do is do a different attack. Okay, she could file a federal lawsuit. He doesn't control the federal courts for his violation of her civil rights. She could do that. That's called a Section 1983 action, and ultimately mm-hmm. she does. But that's not her immediate method because a federal lawsuit is going to take forever before it's decided, right? So what she mm-hmm. does is she decides she is going for his robe. And by that, I mean she wants them to take his judgeship away. And so instead of trying to get somebody to file a criminal charge against her, she files a federal lawsuit, she files a complaint with the Ethics Commission. She files a complaint with with the um, Judicial Inquiry Commission. There is a body that is in charge of overseeing judges. And so she goes to that commission and says, he's corrupt. He's corrupt. He has violated all his judicial ethics. He should not be on the bench. Now, here's the thing. That's a different kind of procedure, and they do have the power. They have the power to take his robe away. They can take it. They can say you're not a judge anymore. They they can do Mm -hmm. other things. They could they could discipline him in a variety of ways, but uh, to go to that um, judicial inquiry commission, complain, and then they would take it to the court of the judiciary. This is the nine-person body that governs judicial ethics. Now, um, I. My sister in Missouri served uh, for 10 years. She passed away this year. God, this has been a terrible year. But she served for 10 years um, on the Missouri Supreme Court Advisory Commission. So Susie was a great resource to me. But her book is is set in Alabama. And so how did Jim and I know? How do they do it in Alabama? You remember Roy Moore? Roy Mm -hmm. Moore was on the Supreme Court of Alabama. And Roy Moore got kicked off of the Supreme Court of Alabama. They took his robe away. And there was a great deal of coverage, so we had all that, um, not only the press, but the legal research that we could go to because they, they, they kicked Roy Moore off, and it was this same group, this court of the judiciary. And so we were able to read – and. Oh, uh, Roy Moore did a lot of stupid things. One of the things he did, do you remember he he put the, a big stone tablet of the Ten Commandments in the Alabama Supreme Court, and they said, you, you can't do that. You can't do that. you got to 
you, that's you know we've got a separation of church and state problem. We've got to get that out of here. And he refused. I mean, Roy Moore is um, a legend in his own way. And so we were able to research all the procedures with Roy Moore, and we were like, well, here in Alabama is how you can get rid of a judge. And so we used the same procedures when Martha's trying to get rid of Judge Pickens, but it's not as easy for Martha. So Martha still has lots of obstacles and uh uh, there are uh, many, many roadblocks in Martha's uh, uh, journey to try and get that robe off of Judge Piggins' back. But that's why we chose that procedure, is because you have to go to a body that has power over Pickens. And going through the court system, you have to go through Pickens first, see. What so happens if somebody wants to go through? To that, that's amazing, though. So they can only do that to judges? Can they do that to lawyers, too, if they feel that they're so oh, unethical? Yes. There, there are absolutely um, uh, bodies uh, with disciplinary power over attorneys. And like mm-hmm. I said, my sister, was, my sister practiced law for 42 years, but she was one of that group of lawyers. And whenever individuals yeah. would uh, file a professional um, mm-hmm. ethics complaint against an attorney, my sister was one of the body that uh, would handle those disciplinary procedures. Mm-hmm. So yes, there are structures in place. There are. And they're not through the court system. These are administrative bodies that um, enforce professional ethics. That's interesting. So that's why Martha thought, that's, where, that's how I got to go. And there is a line when she is sitting there in court acting like she's just nice as probably going to do anything he says. And in the back of her mind, she's thinking, I'm going to rip that robe off your back. But well, she's got to do it a different way than through his courtroom. Well, I'm hoping that you bring Martha back. But before we close, on November 23rd, just listen very carefully, people. Nancy's coming back for power of attorney. So just give everybody just a little taste of what they're going to meet when they meet Leo Randall. Leah Randall is an Arkansas girl. Oh, she was a student at the University of Arkansas, and yeah. uh, all in the world she wanted was to get out of town. And so she did leave. She left Arkansas. She becomes a, a big attorney in Chicago, but guess what? There's trouble at home. Her parents need her back, and so she goes back and takes over her mm. father's law practice because he's got Alzheimer's. And she finds that there are some horrible, horrible things going on under the surface of her little hometown when she represents a woman who is accused of the murder of her two guardians. Turns out that woman has suffered uh, treatment that uh, yeah. no human being ought to have to put up with. So we see what can Leah Randall do? Uh, to try and protect the rights of that young woman who has been so abused. Well, Amber's, Amber has, you know, very broad people skills, and she seems to be, like, not understanding a lot. Yet, as I was reading it and what she wants and demands, she's not that stupid. She really, she really comes across as being smarter than you think, people. For. Because she has lived a very kind of a... Uh, a horrible, uh, life in a very strange way, a horrible sheltered life. 
And so people think on the surface that Amber is um, uh, very uh, afflicted, but Amber's not nearly as stupid as people think. Well, and it looks by like the I'm time getting very the book popular is over, here. Oh, mm. good. Well, I hope that people will be rooting for Leah and for Amber when we talk, after we talk uh, together, Fran, uh, about Power of Attorney. I'm trying to figure out who the author of this book is that they're giving me. I don't know. Two authors? Do you ever hear of W.E.B. Griffin's Presidential Angel Series by Andrews and Wilson? I have no idea. I'm getting, I, I, this is, like, unbelievable. On top of it, people, if you sent me a book and I didn't get it, just remind me that the Amazon, that the post office forgot to bring it. Oh, well, what can you do? Okay. So, Martha's got to come back because I like her. Oh, and Power of so. Attorney is good. I, I, it would be really cool to bring Martha back with Leah Randall in the same book. That's just my opinion. Oh, my gosh, what an incredible idea. I love that. Friend, that never occurred to me. I'll tell Jim you said so. I think Jimmy needs to come on my show because my interviews are a lot better than the ones I see he gets, let me tell you. And I would make everything you know, look great. It, do you know it has everything to do with the interviewer? That is uh, my experience anyway. It's got everything to do with the interviewer. He so. would really have fun because, you know, I don't blindside people. So what are you writing without him? Uh, do you know I've got a new series with Grand Central Publishing, and the first book comes out March twenty second, 2022, entitled Renegade, and I've got a young prosecutor who's kind of entered up, uh, ends up uh, kind of embroiled in a vigilante situation, and um, she is trying to find out uh, who killed her father. So Renegade set in New York City, if you can believe that. I'm getting out of well, you gotta let me know when for, uh, you, you gotta let me know if you want an interview because believe it or not, March eighth, Philip Mogollin texted me yesterday oh my goodness and said just, don't, just forget to don't forget to hold my date and Andrea Kane said don't forget to hold my date. I go like, Okay. I I, well, I I'll it's shoot unbelievable. You. But for those of you that didn't listen to August twenty fifth, um, one of the authors asked me how come I always get what the book is about. On August twenty fifth I interviewed my college professor that I took my second master's with in reading. And Dr. Cavuto is coming back on in January. We're going to talk about reading assessment through problem solving and the perspectives of reading. That's my field. So it's not an interview. It's a discussion. So I have to hold my own and be part of it. So that's good. That's what's coming up. And in January, we've got Michael Embry. And in, um, you have one of your favorite people in um, February, uh, David Putnam. And John Land, and a whole bunch more. But if you want an interview in March, just let me know because March 22nd, I don't know what day of the book right that is, but I'll let you know right now. My calendar talks to me better than I talk to myself. And yeah, oh, that's a Tuesday. So let me know if that works for you. So uh, where can everybody read Jailhouse Lawyer? And where can everybody get 75 copies? Oh, and by the way, Christmas and Hanukkah, it's a great present. I just thought I saw that. Do you know it's available everywhere? <laughs> Books are so oh, good. So uh, whether you like your indie bookstore, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, do you like hard hard copy or ebook? Yeah, I love or, it. Or um, uh, large print? They got them all. It won't be out in paperback for a while, but. Uh, it is available everywhere books are sold. And we also love Apple iBooks where um, we are number one in fiction. 
jailhouse well, lawyer. Thank you so much. This has been fun to perk me up, let me tell you. It's beautiful outside. I don't know how it is in Missouri, but today in Westchester, it's nice and cold. It is officially very cold outside. It's 68 degrees, which is to me is perfect weather. You don't need a jacket. Oh, I was about to say, I love 68. I wish it dropped a few uh, drop a few degrees here. And it's cloudy here, but it's sunny. I don't feel sunny in this room because we've had so much fun on the phone. Yep, we did. You know what? You brightened my whole day. <laughs> um, question. Oh, oh, oh. Do you, I'm doing, well, I do a lot of panel shows. Do you ever do those? Because it would be I interesting to do I... different perspectives on legal 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 thrillers. I just thought it was well, my brain. Well, that's something to think about something to think about and i we we haven't done a panel together friend but no um, we haven't but, uh, I, I get the but nicest uh, people but i sort of tell people what i want them to answer and i tell them what i'm going to ask so if they have a problem with it they don't have to answer it that's the one thing about my you know, it's always therapy. good to yeah have a little heads up yes yeah so thank you anyway, so no, much it sounds like fun sounds like fun friend it is one one you got I got Dick Belsky and um Brian Silverman and Dennis Palumbo and they were riot. And then of course any time John Land is on one, I just sit back and listen. But I'm gonna say this <laughs> at the end of every one of my shows from now on. The other day, um somebody said something to me when I walked outside and said, Oh, I love your hair, the colors are great. They are, they're different. And I said something nice to the person. I think everybody at the end of every day or sometime during the day, you need to say an act of kindness. I think everybody needs to say something nice and be kind to someone, and then maybe this horrific virus will realize you're not welcome. And then maybe the world will go back to being kind again. So that's just my thought. I agree. Because, uh, I agree. And I'm, I'm glad that practice today. So you have already planted a seed. You see that? So everybody... Thank you so much, Nancy. Everybody have a great day. I will email you the link in a little bit. Everybody have a great day, and bye. Bye Bye-bye.